0: Today we're carrying on our Philippians series. So if you want to open your Bibles to Philippians 1 verse 12, we're going to jump into the text in just a minute. But I think for a lot of us, uh, this year has involved a lot of confusion, a a lot of reflection, a lot of reassessing, um, thinking about our lives and what matters most. And for some of us, making changes or at least seeing the changes we need to make in our lives as we go forward. I know a lot of people during lockdown who've had more time have said that they've realized that they need to slow down and do less and focus on what matters most, the priorities of life. They they need to give themselves to those things because they've been running around ragged trying to do everything and they realize it just isn't sustainable and it isn't good. sure a lot of you can relate to that. I actually got a prophetic word from a friend in April over WhatsApp just giving me these two words, he felt God was saying to me that this would be a time of defining and of refining for me. And it really, really has been. Maybe you feel the same thing. But as I read that word and resonated and prayed it through, I actually did a few exercises just to process what God might be saying to me. And one thing I did was I sat down and I thought about my funeral. Now, I know I'm wearing black today. If you're new and you don't know me, I'm not this morbid guy just talking about funerals and death and all of that all the time. And I'm not talking about like planning my last hurrah, you know, just thinking about the venue and the music and the flowers and all of that. That's not what I mean by talking about my funeral. Instead, what I was thinking about is what I wanted people to say about me at my funeral. You know, after I'm gone, um, just when they've just got memories of me left and my legacy is done, you know, I've finished my time here. There's no more time on the clock. What people would re- remember of me, what they would say of me, and how, I guess I would have impacted or affected the people around me. You know, what would define me and the time that I do currently have left on this earth? And I think most importantly, you know, people out there could say things about me that are really positive. But what about those closest to me? My my wife, my kids, my closest friends and family, those who know me the best those who've got the most unfiltered, unglamorous access to my life, my my good and bad, my my flaws and failings and successes and all of those things, how would they remember me? What would they really think of me? And I prayerfully wrote down four things that I would like to define my life. Now, I do want to say writing down something is the easy bit. It's actually making changes and living this out that's the hard part of this. But I want to ask you today, what you want your life to be remembered for? What would your things be that you wrote down? And maybe another thing, maybe a harder thing to think about, is if you don't think this through, if you don't make the changes you need to make, if you don't change trajectory, when your time on this earth is done, what will you be remembered for based on who you are and who you're becoming now? In today's passage, Paul gives us three things that Christians should prioritize in their lives. So let's read this together and let's see if you can find them. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice." Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What does Paul emphasize here in Philippians 1? And what does Paul call us to prioritize as important here? I see three things. He calls us to prioritize advancing the gospel, proclaiming Christ, and honoring Jesus or glorifying Jesus with our bodies, with our lives. Are those three things priorities for you today? If you remember from last week, I said that in this book in Philippians, Paul is writing to encourage the church in Philippi. And this is why. Very simply, because life is hard. Life is hard. Uh, if you didn't believe that at the beginning of 2020, I'm pretty sure we're all on the same page here. Life can be pretty hard sometimes. And probably for many of us trying to deal with those realities, what we can try and do is try and control our lives and control the world around us and minimize the effect of hardship and difficulty on us. Or maybe we try and escape. You know, we we just go into comfort and think, okay, whatever hits me during the day at night, that's my time to relax and rest and be comfortable and just Try and find respite from the difficulties of this world. But a lot of people struggle with the reality of suffering in our world, you know, particularly people who are considering faith in God and following Jesus. That They might say from the outside, well, if God exists and if God is all powerful and if God loves us, why would he allow suffering in the world, either out there or in here? It's a really good question to wrestle with and to think through some really good resources that talk about that online. You can get some good books or podcasts on that. And I actually preached on that a couple of years ago in our Tough Questions series. You can listen to that on our website. But many people struggle with that, you know. They struggle with the thought of following Jesus because of the personal suffering they've had to endure. And this could be you, you know, thinking God. Why did you take so-and-so? Why did you allow them to die? Or why did you allow my dream, my marriage, my business to fail and and for me to lose everything? I put in so much hard work and I lost everything in that situation. Why did you allow that, God? Maybe you see yourself in one of those examples or, or maybe something else comes to mind. But for Christians... It can be even harder to go through suffering. Just bear with me. Think about this for a second. It can be harder because we've already put our trust in Jesus. We've already decided to follow him. And now we're serving him. We're sacrificing for him and his purpose. And then when we suffer and enjoy, we think, what is going on? You know, Christians use our time, our effort. We use our gifts. We use everything that God has given us to advance his cause and to see his kingdom come. We give money, you know, hard-earned cash to the church towards the mission of God to see his kingdom advance. We've been in uncomfortable situations to serve him. If you have ever told someone about Jesus or, or evangelized or shared your faith, you know that that is an uncomfortable space to be in. And it can be awkward. Uh, I mean, it's this weird tension where you're sharing the most important thing in the world. Jesus who saved you and changed your life, the treasure of your heart, the, the one you love the most. You're talking about him with someone, and you're worried about what they think. You're a bit insecure. You're a bit anxious. You're not sure how they're going to respond or what they're going to ask or say. It can be such an uncomfortable situation to be in, even though we know it's so important. You could be sitting here going, well, Grant, I've done so much. I've been involved in planning churches. We've shared the gospel we've had people in our home we've made disciples we've we've served you know we've done these awkward and uncomfortable things you're talking about and then we suffer i heard someone say early in the year i've suffered for god i went on a mission trip to kuala lumpur and it was awful that could be you watching this today but we're serving to we're sacrificing to serve god and, and because we know he is worthy When we could just be sitting on the couch and resting and relaxing and chilling and doing what's easy and what just refreshes us. And when we choose to serve God and sacrifice and use our energy and time and all of these things that are so valuable to us, and then we face suffering, we can be like, what is going on? I mean, think about Paul's case. God has allowed Paul to be imprisoned and he might be executed. Or for you, maybe, you know, you've been serving God and now you get sick or you lose your job or you get robbed or something like that. Or maybe you've been serving God wholeheartedly and then you're let down by or hurt by someone in the church, a friend, someone you trusted, a a leader. You think, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And you pray and you say, God, really? You say you love me. You say I'm your son or your daughter. You, You know, I'm trying to serve you here. What is going on? If you're watching this today and you're not a Christian I want to say there's like definite reality to wrestling with the problem of pain and evil in our world and there are good resources out there but I want to say to those of you looking in and exploring Christianity that on the inside in the church following Jesus suffering in these realities can be even harder so for Paul suffering in a Roman prison cell literally chained to a God who would have been with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's writing to encourage the church in Philippi, who are personally enduring suffering, and they're seeing Paul suffer, and he's writing to encourage them because he doesn't want any of them to bail on the church or to stop following Jesus. He's writing to encourage them, using his example, saying, hey guys, look at my life. I am going through this by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you just bear with me in this? If I can trust God, despite what I'm going through, you can, you can, we can go through this too. The second thing that's going on here is Paul writes to encourage them here because they love him and because of their mutual affection for one another. You know, we spoke about that last week, how much Paul loved this church, how much they loved him and they were concerned that he might die, and they were concerned about his suffering in prison. And Paul writes here and says, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. What has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. I I think he puts actually in there because what has happened to him shouldn't have advanced the gospel. You know, definitely not back then. A traveling apostle, preacher, church planter guy like him needed to be in front of people. He needed to be in person preaching to them. He didn't have the internet like we do today. He couldn't put something up on Zoom or on YouTube or do a podcast or anything like that. If he wasn't in person with them, then no ministry was going to happen. And I think for us today, if Paul was our guy, like he was the Philippians guy, then we'd be feeling pretty negative about what was going on in this situation. You know, we'd look at this and we'd probably pray and say, God, what are you thinking? You know, we need Paul on the field for Team Jesus. Get him off the bench. Like, what is going on here, God? Like, you're the coach. You know what we need. We need him in the game. He's our star player. He's the Michael Jordan of gospel preaching and church planting and kingdom advancing. We need Paul on the field. Like, surely you know this. Surely you need him out of prison, God. And surely you won't let him get executed. Like, if that's going to happen, rather send Jeff. Like, throw him in there. We need Paul. But... What we see here is that God can even use Paul's imprisonment for his purposes and his priorities. In verse 13, Paul writes about this whole actually moment and says that the whole imperial guard and everyone else knew that Paul was in jail for Jesus. The whole imperial guard, maybe as many as 9,000 men and everyone else knew about this guy. What a big audience. Paul hadn't set off to share the gospel with the imperial guard. That, That wasn't his strategy or his plan at all. His goal was to preach the gospel to everyone. And now he finds himself with this captive audience of thousands of guards who are hearing the message about Jesus from him. I've said this already, but the guards were literally chained to Paul. So they were with him 24 hours a day. They were with him when he went to the bathroom, when he slept, when he ate when he wrote his letters, when he entertained guests. And I can imagine these guys were sitting ducks for Paul to share about Jesus and his testimony and about the kingdom of God and about the gospel over and over and over again. And on top of that, Paul would have come into contact with other gods in the situation. So many of them would have heard about Jesus through him and through them, it would have spread to others and others and others over time. You see, Paul was sharing this message And they were thinking about it and then discussing it and and passing it on. They they would say, have you met this guy, Paul, this preacher about Jesus? You know, he he says he's the Messiah. He says he's God in the flesh. He says he died for the sins of the world. He says that he's bringing a new kingdom into this world. He says that we can be washed clean and made right with God, not by what we do, but by what he's done. What what do you think of that? And this message spread among this imperial God, and it spread from them to everyone else Everyone was starting to discuss this message. And I think that blows me away a bit, you know. Prison wasn't Paul's plan. It wasn't how he thought he was going to do what God had called him to do. But even in prison, despite the limitations he faced, Paul is preaching the gospel to prisoners and to guards and to soldiers. And somehow this message is spreading everywhere. God is at work, even though his plans have been messed up. Can I ask you to answer this this morning? What has not gone according to your plan this year? What plans of yours have been messed up in 2020? And Is it possible that maybe God is working behind the scenes, under the surface in some way to fulfill his purpose, but in a way that doesn't look the way you thought it would or isn't the way you expected? Because God is more committed to his purposes and his priorities than we are. You might struggle to believe that, but he is. And God is advancing his kingdom. He is doing his work in 2020, despite our circumstances. Another positive thing we see here is in verse 14, Paul's imprisonment has given others confidence to share about Jesus, which is crazy. You know, you think Paul being in prison would limit him doing ministry, but it hasn't. And you think Paul being in prison would discourage others from doing ministry, but it hasn't. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. About 60 years ago, five missionaries in their 20s and 30s, they'd studied at Wheaton College in Illinois in the US. They headed to the rainforest on the east of the Amazon in Ecuador to a tribe known as the Alca Indians. And this was a tribe that anthropologists call the most vicious violent society on the face of the earth. They called it a culture of killing because studies show that 60% of the tribe died by homicide. Uh, I don't know where you live or what your family is like, but those stats are crazy. And after much preparation, after a lot of training and strategizing and praying, these five men set off to go to that village and to try and share the good news of Jesus with this tribe, you know, they made a bit of contact through a translator, they brought them a couple of gifts, and then one day they landed on a nearby beach, and they went to share with this tribe, but after very limited interaction with them, after a few days, they were speared to death and died. The brutal murders made news all around the world. This was on the front page of Time Magazine, Life Magazine, uh, Newsweek. And it seemed like the end of the story. You know, five young men committed to doing God's work, cut down in the prime of their lives. But you know what? God was at work in the midst of this, just like he was with Paul in prison. And their courage for the gospel and their deaths on the front lines sharing about Jesus sparked something inside the hearts and minds of young men and women around the world who made a decision that they too were going to go into foreign mission and take the gospel to places that hadn't been shared before. These men and women weren't discouraged, but they gained confidence from the example of these five young men, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and the others. And because of their lives and their deaths, Many others dared, I love that that word is there in Philippians 1, they dared to share about Jesus with people all around the world. You know what happened next? A couple of years later, Elizabeth and Valerie Elliott, that's Jim Elliott's uh, wife and daughter, as well as Rachel Saint, that's the sister of Nate Saint, they also moved into the Alka village and they went to show love and forgiveness and minister to the people who had murdered their family. And eventually, Minkai, the leader of the tribe, and the five men who had murdered these five missionaries, all became Christians. In June 1965, Nate Saint's son, Steve, or Bebe, as he was known in the village among the tribe, he was baptized in a nearby river by two of his father's killers, who had since become followers of Jesus. Until recently, that guy, Bebe, Steve, who was just five when his dad was killed, would travel the world extensively with members of the Alka Indian tribe. People who had become Christians and started to follow Jesus, sharing their faith in the story of God's redemption in that jungle. And he was particularly close to Minkai and Kedi, who had murdered his father. God is able to take things that from the outside look terrible, failed plans, mistakes, disappointment, discouragement, He's able to take them and to use them for the good and for his purposes. Be encouraged this morning. Philippians 1 verse 15. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul knows that the motives of all of the different Christians who are preaching about Jesus are not pure. You know, some of them are doing it to be cool or to be liked. Some of them are doing it with good hearts or doing it because of the love of the people around them. And some of them are doing it for their own glory. You know, they see a gap. Paul's in prison, they could be the guy who stands up and everyone listens to, who's applauded and loved by many people. If they just do well enough, they could have Paul's old role. But in all fairness, kind of looking at this and seeing the mixed motives of the people preaching, I think we're like that too, you know. In our day-to-day lives, as we try and serve Jesus, our motives are mixed. Some days we do things to be cool or to be liked by people Uh, We do things for our own glory. And then other days, we do things out of a good heart or out of love for people. And sometimes it's more of a mixture than that that we even realize. But Paul says, whatever the motive here, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. What we see in Philippians 1 is that the message is more important than the motive. If you look in other letters, like the, the letter to the church in Galatia, Paul is writing to correct the message because the message has gotten distorted. You know, if the message is fine, Paul is happy. But when the message gets messed with, then Paul has to speak up. And uh, I think there's a, a really easy way that we can know if there's something wrong with the message. It's if we're proclaiming Christ and something. See, here in Philippi, they're proclaiming Christ. But in Galatia, they were proclaiming Christ and and works or christ and doing these certain things and for you harbor city if i ever start to do that you can know something is wrong with my preaching or if god moves you somewhere else and you join another church and they're preaching christ and something then something's wrong there that's probably not a good place to be the message is off we have a problem but if christ is being proclaimed paul says that is a good thing even if the motives of the people preaching isn't perfect Harbor City, are you proclaiming Christ? Are you telling others about His good news? Are you in word and indeed using your life to point people to Jesus and to try to introduce them to Him? Because that is what we're called to do as the church. This is the gospel partnership that Paul is speaking about in Philippians one. It's one of the key themes that we see throughout this letter. So, what does gospel partnership mean? Well, it comes from this Greek word koinonia that appears throughout Philippians and the New Testament that is often translated as the word fellowship. Now, my concern is that if you've been in church for a while, you've heard the word fellowship a lot. I mean, a lot of churches even have a fellowship hall where people get together for meals and tea and coffee and to socialize. But actually, fellowship is so much more than just Christians hanging out together and enjoying a cup of coffee. In Philippians, Koinonia is talking about gospel-centered friendship. It's friendship and mission together. We're mates and we do ministry together. Our old life group talked about this a lot. We actually, we had a a name for our group. It came out of a mistake. Uh, Someone mispronounced it once, but we became the soul group. And the slogan for our group was, we drink tea and change the world. We had it up on a blackboard on the wall to remind us of this, this idea of koinonia that we are friends on mission, that we have fun together and advance the gospel. That is what the church is. And the idea here is that Christianity is not about me and Jesus doing our thing, living with purpose and meaning in the world. You know, Christianity is a we and Jesus thing, not, not a me and Jesus thing. And I think this time of lockdown has maybe ruined our thinking around that for some of us, or maybe confused us, or, or helped us to slip back into a me and Jesus rather than a we and Jesus space. I think my fear is after seven months, 29 weeks of not meeting in person together as the church on Sundays, our value for the gathering of the church might have slipped down. You know, we're out of the habit of meeting together at the same time every week in the same place. We're out of the habit of getting ready in the mornings and getting dressed and getting in our cars and coming together. We're out of the habit of serving together, of worshiping together. And uh, our worship has become more individualistic. You know, We've been doing church at home on the couch in our PJs with breakfast for seven months now, and we've got to shift out of that thinking. And my fear is that we don't prioritize the weekly gathering of the church going forward in the way that we should, in the way the New Testament calls us to or that will come out of this time seeing the church wrongly, you know. So many people in our city, our country, and our world see the church really as, um, uh, I guess, just spiritual consumers, you know. We're the audience there to watch the show and get our spiritual uh, product, and then we carry on with our lives and do our own thing. But that's a very consumeristic and capitalistic way of seeing the church. The biblical church that Philippians talks about, that Jesus wants us to become, is a group of co-workers who spread the gospel together throughout the week, wherever we are around the city, in our workplaces, among our sphere of influence. And then we gather together on a Sunday and in other church meetings to encourage one another and be reminded of what matters most, our, our priorities. And Harbor City, the, the church we are building, is a community of gospel co-workers working together on mission. And we exist to advance the gospel and to proclaim Christ throughout the week. That's who we are, and that is what we do. Let me end with this in Philippians 1. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Don't know if you picked this up there, but Paul doesn't know what's coming next for him. You know, he doesn't know if he's going to keep living or if he's going to die you know he's in prison he could be executed or martyred because he's been preaching about jesus he doesn't know what is next for him but he's still encouraged because god is using him at the moment to do what he's called to do even though he doesn't know what's next or what's coming up but either way whether he lives or whether he dies, we'll talk about that more next week whether he lives or whether he dies. He knows what he's committed to doing. He knows what his priorities are. And he's going to give the rest of the time he's got to doing those things. Now, his priority is to honor Jesus in and through his life. In the words he speaks, he wants to honor Jesus. In the decisions he makes, he wants to honor Jesus. In the motives of his heart, in his feelings and fears, he wants to bring all of that to Jesus to try and honor him. With his money, with his time, with his talents, he wants to honor Jesus with everything he has. He wants to honor Jesus. That's what he's living to do, to honor Jesus. And I want to say, we might not know what is next for us. 2020 has been a confusing and complicated year. You might feel like you don't have clarity about the future right now. I think it's just join the club. We're all in that boat. And you might be praying and asking God for leading and direction for your life right now. You might have some big decisions to make. You might be asking God for grace just for the uncertainty of 2020 and all that's going on. But you know what? A good question that we can ask ourselves as we live and make decisions at this time is how do I honor Jesus best right now? How do I honor Jesus best in this situation with my life? What do I do? What does that look like? How do I honor God best? You might want to spend some time even now, just push pause, think about that and pray that through a little bit. But Harbor City, one of the things this year has to have shown us is we are not as in control of our lives and our futures as we thought we were seven months ago we don't know what the future holds we we don't control our futures in the palm of our hands but we do know what god has called us to do and we do know what brings him glory so let's give ourselves to those things with the time that we do have let's pray together Lord, I ask you for us as a church. Lord, as we come together again from next week, we praise you and thank you for your provision. And Lord, in these uncertain times, Lord, we just come before you and we say, would you fill us with your spirit and would you empower us to do what honors you most? Would you show us the priorities that you're putting on our lives? And Lord, would you help us to advance your kingdom, to proclaim Christ and to honor you with our lives? We ask you for your help with that, for your clarity in those things and for your empowering to be those kinds of people in that kind of church. In Jesus' name, Amen.